0: I'd like to let you know we have um, kids opportunities going on this morning, so your children are welcome to stay in the service, um, but we also have something prepared for all of them. So uh, there is a nursery that's available downstairs, and there is also opportunities for kids grades K through 5. So if you'd like to, if your kids are interested in being a part of any of that, they can head out now. As you know, for those of you that were here last week, we started a new series called the Apostles. uh, It's working through the Apostles' Creed. It's called Believe and Be Love. And uh, I thought what I would do this morning is start out by reading through the Apostles' Creed together. This is something that we would do and typically would be done in church corporately. So that means together. That means this is something that you all say with me. All right. So this isn't me saying something to you. This is all of us together together. Got that? Ready? All right, it's going to be on the screen. Let's go through it together. Amen. Let's start. I believe, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried Amen. Amen. Is that what you believe this morning? Amen. Amen. That is uh, one of the unifying creeds that brings together the church and um, unifies the church together. And we're excited to be working. I'm excited to be working through that. We have just come through a series called Life Together and we are understanding what it means to be rooted and grounded in the historic Christian faith and what unites us as a church through Jesus Christ. We're studying the Apostles' Creed both to affirm the core of our beliefs, but also to strengthen and encourage us to believe and then be love. As I've said repeatedly this year, we want to be a church that is going out, that is sharing this good news. And so by kind of getting back to the basics, getting back to the fundamentals and affirming what we believe, uh, my prayer is that that will encourage us to go out and share that because the message is pretty simple. The life, we know, is a little complicated, but the message is simple and we can believe in who Jesus Christ is. And so, also right now, as you know, as I said already, we're working our way towards Easter. Uh, we're going to be kicking off with Lent here uh, in this Wednesday, and um, so... The Creed would have been something that would have been taught very early on heading into Easter because it would have been something that was recited by those who were going to be baptized at the time of Easter. So all of that is why we are working our way through this series at this time in the life of our church. Today, as we get going, I'd like to have you center your hearts and your minds around this thought. Uh, We're just going to take one piece at a time here. Today, God is my Father— And he loves me for who I am. Can we just say that together? God is my father and he loves me for who I am. I want you to just take one minute. We're just going to be silent. And I want you to think and pray and allow the spirit to let that thought sink into your heart. my desire in thinking through the Apostles' Creed and a series that we could do. It was my desire to actually go one word at a time. That would have taken us about 24 weeks, and I assumed that that might be a little too long for a whole sermon series, but I assure you that each and every one of the words in this creed is thought out, has depth, has meaning and has purpose. And so I want to encourage you, I'm I'm writing a companion blog. Well, I write it every week. For those of you that get the midweek email, that's actually the only way you can access it, unless you know how to type in the search thing on the internet. But if you get the midweek email, you can get my midweek blog. And I'm going to be choosing a couple of key words, in some cases maybe a phrase, and I'm going to be writing about them because I just don't have time to talk about each and every word here on Sunday. So on Sundays, we're going to be talking conceptually. Today, we're talking about God our Father. In the blog this week, I actually talked about the word I, and I titled it Words with Roots. What does I, in I believe, what does I actually represent So if you're interested in that, let me know. If you don't have access to it, I can give you access. But all throughout this series, I'll be writing about individual words, even as we preach about some of the individual concepts. Today, as we get into this, I wanted to start out with this idea. We have a crisis in our country. We have a crisis of fatherhood. Anybody know that? Anybody know that we have a crisis of fatherhood in our country? It makes it very difficult when you kick into the Apostles' Creed Some people have, right from the very first phrase, a very difficult time of relating to the Creed. I believe in God the Father, but if I don't have a father, I struggle. If I have a father and that image has been corrupted or skewed, I have a struggle. I don't know what it means. I don't understand what it means to relate to a father. And then we start to layer on to what this means in terms of gender and what our conceptions of masculinity are all about and fatherhood and all of of a sudden we're down a path that this phrase was never meant to take us on. And so... Even as we have a crisis, 19.7 or 1 in 4, 19.7 million children, 1 in 4 children are living in a home without a father right now. And we know that millions more are living in a home where the father is only partially there or there but kind of absent, not playing the role of father. And even if you're not those 1 in 4 without a dad at home, many of us also have experiences where our dad wasn't necessarily who we wanted Him to be. And our memories and other ways that we relate to our fathers are a little bit skewed or corrupted or hurt. We all know... The stories of dads that are struggling just to make ends meet. They're working overtime to pay the bills, maybe two jobs, whatever the story is. Maybe they're, they've taken up drinking to kind of cover the fact that they're living with pain and they don't know how to relate to their kids. They don't know how to parent because they were never taught how to parent. We live in this crisis. And so we say right from the very beginning, I believe in God the Father, but we have no idea, some of us, what that really looks like. The crisis in America is this, if I don't have a dad in the home, I'm four times more at risk for poverty in my life. I am seven times, if I'm a woman, seven times more likely to become pregnant without being married. I have more behavioral problems. I am more likely to face abuse and neglect. I am two times greater risk of infant mortality. And the statistics go on, two times more risk for being obese, two times more likely to drop out of school. To say that we can't relate to the creed might be an understatement in our culture, in our society. So somebody, somebody here today, somebody needs to hear this. Somebody needs to understand this and hear about God being their father in a whole new kind of way because this truth is foundational, it is core. It is core to understanding the Bible. It is core to understanding the biblical story. It is core to understanding what we're actually committed to. So let me start right there and talk about this. Who God the Father is not. So let's talk about who God the Father is is not if you can put this in the context the early church and our worship leader andrew kind of mentioned this a little bit the early church one of the things that they were fighting constantly was the images that the culture had about what a god looked like in some cases it was some sort of a statue or a carved image or something that you could look at but in a lot of cases in cases of greek mythology these gods were these these gods were crazy Apollo and Hermes and Mercury, all those gods. Like, they were crazy people, right? And I might have used the Roman names for them. I don't even know. But they were crazy. And we were fighting. The early church was fighting against these conceptions of what a god looks like. Gods were angry. Gods interacted with the humans. And gods were lustful. And they were prideful. And they were arrogant. And all of this stuff was going on. The early church was trying to counter this. And so when they were talking about... God the Father, they were coming up against this idea of something that was pagan and human and interacting and they were trying to paint a picture of something that was altogether different. And so one of the things that they were consistently fighting against is that God our Father, Creator God, the Christian God, was not a physical being. He was not a physical being. He had No traits of gender at all. He wasn't masculine. It wasn't about that. So we have to undo the image of God our Father as being something physical altogether. It's not that our physical bodies are bad. It's just that that's not who God is. And so we're constantly fighting against this. And early on in the uh, second century here, uh, Athanasius is saying this, every bodily thought must be shunned in these matters says Athanasius. Not because Christians have an aversion to the body, but because we have an aversion to the pagan gods. This is very early on, very early on in the life of the church. A little bit later on, in the third and into the fourth century, Gregory of Nancy was, was saying the same thing, trying to explain who God the Father was. And he says, we use words father and son, Gregory says, in a more elevated sense. We accept the realities without being put off by the names. Ordinarily, family connotations cannot be applied to God, much less connotations of gender. He would go on to say this, do you take it, Gregory asks his congregation, that our God is male because of the masculine nouns, God and Father? Or is the Godhead a female because the Greek word is actually a feminine word? Such crude biological thinking would be pagan and not Christian. You see, they were fighting against this idea of turning God into something that He wasn't. The early church took great pains to affirm that God as Father was our Father, but not in the way the pagans would associate with their pagan gods. Our God is different. Can I get an amen? Amen. Our God is different. Can you just say that with me? Our Our God is different. So who... God the Father is. Who is God the Father? First and foremost, we have to think here about a relationship. Not a physical being, not a masculine male figure, not anything related to a body, but it is a relationship. Gregory of Nancy said it this way again, Father designates neither substance nor the activity, but the relationship. The manner of being which holds good between the Father and the Son. You see, you can't have a Son, which is the essence of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ. You can't have a Son if there's no Father. And what did Jesus consistently say is, I am the Son. God is my Father. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. So you get the idea that the early church grabbed hold of the idea of a relationship relationship. Tertullian, who was in the 2nd century, would say it this way. Father makes son, and son makes father. A father must have a son to be a father, and a son must have a father to be a son. Kind of a circular way of saying it all, right? Can't have one without the other, bottom line, right? When we confess that God is eternally father, we have always in mind, as well, the eternality of the son. You see how it's foundational to what we believe? See how it's core? I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Father because of Jesus Christ, His Son, and what He showed us. And I can't have one without the other, and therefore they all work together. That's why it is part of the creed, the foundation, the fundamentals of what we believe. Relationship. Relationship is at the heart of our understanding of God as father but where did that idea where did that idea come from how did it make it into the creed because frankly while there are some old testament references to god as father it's really the new testament that enlightens it let me give you a picture of what was said about god the father in the old testament jeremiah 31:9 says this because i am israel's father and ephraim Is my firstborn son. That's uh, the last part of a longer verse there. But you see, he refers to himself as father. But who is he father of? A father of a nation. Father of the people. Something quite impersonal, right? Something much bigger. That's how the Old Testament and the Jews would understand God. In Exodus 4.22, you can read that. Hosea 11.1, you get these images. Isaiah 63.16 also says it that way. I am the father of a people. Isaiah 64.8 says it this way. It might come a little closer. If you're actually reading and you want to read into the Scripture, which isn't a great thing to do, but if you do, like you can kind of get the sense that this might be a little more personal. God, Isaiah 64, 8 says this. Um, It says, He is the potter and we are the clay. Anybody ever heard that? Isaiah 64, 8. You might have heard it from Jeremiah 2. But that even still speaks to God as being a God, the father of a whole nation. He is the father of a people. It wasn't until the New Testament Where Jesus actually reveals us, reveals him to us as a father. Very early on in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, we get Jesus saying this to his parents. He's age 12. He's looking back at his parents who are like, why have you done this to me? And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? We get this idea very early on in Jesus' ministry that he was the son to an eternal father, the creator God father, right? So Jesus all of a sudden is now revealing himself to He's revealing His Father to us. In the Gospels, there are 170 different references to God the Father, as opposed to the very few that are in the Old Testament. The the Gospel of John alone references the Father over 100 different times. It's this New Testament revelation that the new early church is holding on to when they write down, I believe in God the Father. It is a new revelation being revealed to them because of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. Hence the importance of our creed. We must have the Father in order to have the Son. Jesus would go on and he would declare that God is also our Father. Not only is God... The Father to Jesus. But now God is our Father. He says this. Do not hold on to me. This is in John twenty seventeen. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Earlier on in Matthew, you read this around the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 and six fourteen. He says, he wants you to refer to him, to, to God, as our Father who is in heaven. That's how we're instructed to pray. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, he's responding to some people who are, are looking at him. He's saying, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sisters? What does he say? Those who do the will of my Father. Those who do the will of my Father. Now we're his mothers and brothers and sisters. That's how we relate To who God is. In other words. This is not some kind of a speculative statement. Paul would pick up on this in the Galatians. In chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. He says this. But when the set time had fully come. God sent his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those under the law. That we might receive adoption. Into sonship. See Jesus had this connection with God the Father. Through through that personal, intimate being born of, right? That whole relationship. We experience that through adoption, through grace. But it's all working together. We are all part of that family where God is our Father. Again, this is not some kind of a speculative statement when I say I believe in God the Father. This was revealed to the early church through the Son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. This is foundational to who we believe. What is the nature of our relationship? When you think about the nature of the relationship, you can hear God in the or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane calling out, "Abba, Father." The early church picked up on that a little bit, and Paul probably was the first one to write it. Actually, over in Galatians. And if you read on into verse four, chapter 4, verse 6, he would say it this way. Because you are his children, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has also made you his heir. You see, we have been brought into this family with God as our Father, connected through Jesus Christ, the original heir, but now adopted in and become co-heirs with the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus relating to God in this intimate, personal way. Abba, Father. And we're invited by the power of the Spirit to relate in that same kind of personal way. You can picture Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 where where Jesus is being baptized just get this in your in in your head Jesus is being baptized he goes down into the water he comes out and what happens uh, the heavens open up right and you get this dove that kind of descends and and what does God say this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased right Well, take that now. Like, a lot of times, I think for me, I've personally read that and I've said, well, that's that's good for Jesus, right? God's well pleased with his son, Jesus. But I'm his adopted son. You are his adopted sons and daughters. If God is pleased with his son, Jesus, he is also thereby pleased with you as his sons and daughters. You are part of the family. By extension, the God of love loves you in the same way that he loves his son. I need to probably say that again because I'm not sure you got that. As much as God loved Jesus, by extension through adoption, he loves you. Did you hear that? God loves you. That might be very different than your experience with a father in this life. Unconditional love, grace, forgiveness, a listening ear. This creed was part of the baptismal process to be baptized into. Jesus Christ, to be baptized into the triune God, was to be baptized into this relationship. And if you have been baptized into this relationship through Jesus Christ, you have been brought into this loving union with God the Father, this relationship. It's unique. It's powerful. It's different than anything that was happening in the world then and ever since. He is God the Father. So what does it mean for me? What it means for me is that I can trust him. As much as that challenges us, right? I can trust him. I can turn to him. Even if I don't quite know how to relate to my own earthly father, I can trust that God the Father is available. I can turn to him. I can experience his love. And as it relates to this particular creed, I can acknowledge his role as maker of heaven and earth. We're going to touch on creation next week. But it's foundational, right? I believe in God the Father and we go in to maker of heaven and earth. It's the foundation. It's the linchpin. Without God, there is none of this. So it starts right there and I can acknowledge this God the Father is maker of heaven. He's creator. He's first in the Godhead and He is necessary for there to even be a son. It's all part of weaving together what the early church understood about believing in Jesus Christ, about the faith being made real through the Son. We could end there, but I couldn't, all right? So you got to bear with me for a minute because what if my dad is screwed up? What if my own experience with my own father just, I can't relate Still can't get over my relationship. That's hard. It's really, really hard. And it doesn't happen with a snap of the fingers. It doesn't happen with a simple prayer most of the time. God could do that right through the power of His Spirit. He could transform things, but most often, because of this relational process, it takes time. It takes working through. It takes humility. It takes forgiveness. It takes Time and struggle to work out the relationship that we've had with our earthly and biological fathers. So we need to work on reframing our understanding away from this physical being that we know of an, as an earthly father. If we've struggled there, we've we got to get rid of that and get more over into this idea of it's relationship. It's something that I can begin to work through. And then we need to study the Bible and we need to see And you know what's fascinating? When you you look into the New Testament, you see all the different references that Jesus makes to his Father and, and all those different references tell of all the different character traits of who this God the Father actually is. And as we begin to let go of our earthly image and regain an image of something that is out of this world, here's what we find. We find a personal God. The Father Matthew six six, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Or Matthew ten thirty says, "This Father knows the very hairs on your head." For those of you that still have a few, personal, personal God. He is revealed elsewhere as a Father of compassion. The quizzers have learned this verse: 1 Corinthians three and four. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion. the Father of compassion. The God of all comfort. Tender. You would find a father who is tender. Matthew 18.14 says, He is not willing that any should perish. This is a tender father. This is a father who knows your needs. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. He, he knows the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and he takes care of all of them. He says, just ask me. Lay out your needs before me. I know what you need before you ask. I am a God who knows your needs. I am a Father who loves you. I am merciful. Matthew 5.45, he, he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He is a merciful Father. He is loving. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son this is my son whom i love in him i am well pleased we are sons and daughters of this father read through the sermon on the mount again we've studied it we've gone through it here before read through it again matthew first book of the new testament matthew chapter 5 verse through verse or chapter 7 read the sermon on the mount and you get a picture of who god the father is and who Jesus came to be. It is because of all of these attributes, and there are many, many more as you study through the New Testament, it is because of these attributes that we are exhorted in that very Sermon on the Mount to become the light in the world, to be, be the salt in the world. Therefore, let your light shine because we need to share this good news. This good news of a relationship with a Father who loves us, who is there to be merciful and tender and gracious and compassionate and comfort us. Therefore, let your light shine. Be the salt of the earth so that others can come to know us. I chose to close and wrap up with this verse today. It's slightly, maybe not perfect context, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And do not call anyone on earth Father. For you have one Father. And He is in heaven. The context here, Jesus is talking to to His disciples, but He's also talking to some teachers of the law and Pharisees and others, and He is exhorting them. He's like, "You, you are putting people in place of who God the Father is. This verse is not telling you not to call your own father, dad, or father. That's not what this verse is talking about. But this is saying, don't let anybody in this life usurp who God the Father actually is in your life. There is only one Father and He is in heaven. And as we take that in, as we own that, as we live into that, as we begin to believe that, our relationship to the Trinity, our relationship to this God the Father begins to transform and it begins to become something that we can stand on. We have Only one Father, and He loves us for who we are. Can I get an amen to that? I'm going to give you some time to respond and to reflect. And then in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to come back and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together before we sing our closing song. But I'd like to just give you a few minutes to write down or to pray through what's on your heart what has this stirred up in you? What has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about? What steps do you feel like you need to take, if any? And if you feel like "I got this, I, I love God, my Father, that I don't have a struggle with that, then pray for your neighbor or somebody else in this church, because there is somebody here. There are many people here who struggle with that. So don't just be content if you got it. Pray for those who are struggling. With this, because this is foundational to who we are. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Let's take some time.